If you would please go ahead and stand for the reading of scripture. Today's scripture comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 7, verses 14 through 24. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile, and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go, so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish of the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile. And all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and the Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace, and did not take even this to his heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water, because they could not drink the river, the water from the river. You may be seated. This might sound odd or surprising, but I want to tell you that I have been very excited about getting to share this story with you this morning. We're in a series on the book of Exodus, and it's called Following the Invisible God. And the purpose of this series has been to look at these stories from the life of Moses, from the book of Exodus. As the book of Hebrews says about Moses that he, he saw, he knew the invisible God. And we know for ourselves that we're, we're called to follow Jesus, but we cannot, we cannot see God. We cannot see our Lord whom we follow. And so in each one of these stories, something important about who he is and what he wants from us, I think, is shared. And last week, we talked about kind of the way in before the fight that's going to come between the Lord and the God's of Egypt. We talked about Moses and Aaron going before Pharaoh with a staff, and the staff becoming a snake, and the magicians doing the same, and just the, the way the two groups were kind of sizing one another up. And so, next week, Pastor Ben is going to uh, be talking about Passover. And so that leaves us the story of the first nine plagues. And like I said, I have to tell you, I've been very excited to, to, to share about this story this morning. Because the story of the plagues is usually very misunderstood. Uh, this story isn't about God working hard to free his people because he could free his people anytime he wanted to with less than a thought. The story also isn't about God trying to convince Pharaoh to surrender because Pharaoh, while he stepped into this fight with the Lord willingly, by the end of it, it's going to be the Lord forcing him to see it through. So it's not about that either. <coughs> Excuse me. 
The story of the plagues is about God showing his greatness to his people. It's a story of the, the first experience of God's people with him. These people have been slaves in Egypt for a long time, and they're seeing him work in powerful ways for the very first time. They're the intended audience. The people of God are the intended audience. And that means you are also the intended audience. And God is going to use these plagues to tell you about who he is. So I think that whatever he wants to say in these stories, it's important for us to listen because this is the way God is introducing himself to his people. So we're going we're gonna to do something a little different. Our single sentence sermon summary is actually going to be in two parts today. You're going to get the first half of it at the beginning and you'll get the last half of it at the end. The first half is this. God's greatness is revealed in his unparalleled power. I'll say that again because I know several of you like to, to take notes. God's greatness is revealed in his unparalleled power. So some background of this story. It's about 1450 B.C., so about 3,500 years ago. The Israelites, they had come to Egypt looking for a place to be safe. Because at that time, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the known world. But after they got there and the Israelites grew and grew, eventually they were so numerous, the Egyptians became scared and made them instead into slaves. Now, it's impossible for us to really fully understand what the life of a slave must have been like in that time. But, but see if you can picture this with me. You're a slave in ancient Egypt. You spend most of your days making bricks. And so here's what this means. In the, the burning hot sun, you go and you, you spend your morning getting straw. And after you've gathered all this straw, you kind of surround it and cake it with mud. And then you use your hands to, to mold these, this mud and straw into a shape. You leave it out in the sun to bake. And then, perhaps days later, you'll return and you'll get these bricks that you've made. And these bricks would be about a foot long, about six inches wide, and about six inches thick. These are not small or light Things And this is what you do all day, every day. This is what your father and mother and grandparents did. If you have children, this is what they'll be doing as soon as they're old enough to work. This is what your life looks like. You can imagine the hopelessness that would come from this perpetual lineage of slavery building monuments, helping to build monuments for Pharaoh. And, and you wonder, how could the people in that kind of a situation keep any sense of hope at all? Well, they had this story that they knew. They had this story that there was a God who had made promises to their ancestor, Abraham. This God had promised their, their ancestor that one day he would have a nation full of descendants, and that they would have their own land. And you can't have your own land if you're slaves. So this promise meant that one day God would rescue them from slavery. 
Now imagine that you're one of them and, and you're tired all the time, but you've been told this story about a God who will one day keep his promise and set your people free and make you into his nation. A God who promised that one day you wouldn't be a slave. And then comes this man, Moses, and he says, the time has come. God has sent me to tell Pharaoh to let all of you go. Can you imagine the, the mingling of hope and fear and worry and excitement that would all be going on inside of you at the exact same time? The hope of a God who keeps his promises. Could you imagine what it would mean to be a slave in a land without hope except for a story and then the day that that story starts to come true? But, but even though you might have this hope, you don't think it's going to be easy because the Egyptians, they have gods too. They worship a lot of gods. They even worship their pharaoh, their king, as a god. And you believe that those gods are very real and they're very powerful. And you know they're powerful because of how successful Egypt is. You see, in the ancient world, they believed that if a, if a, if a nation was large, wealthy, military might, had military might, then that meant that its gods were powerful. And this is a, the largest, most powerful nation in the world. Pharaoh fights war after war, and he's always victorious. And the Egyptians, they, they knew that they were blessed. They knew that the God, their gods were on their side. They took pride in their land, how great and large their kingdom was. They took pride in their wealth. It was an incredibly wealthy empire. And they took pride that their pharaoh fought war after war and always won. So just imagine. I think just like the Israelites were, I think you'd be asking, who is this God who's going to free us? How could he possibly be great or powerful enough? How could he free us when all the Egyptian gods are going to rise up and resist? I want to share with you a little bit about the gods that the Egyptians worshipped because I think it's going to really help you to understand what's going on with the plagues. We talked last week about Wajit, a snake goddess. Now she was known as, as being the protector of Pharaoh. And that's why Pharaohs often in their crowns would have those, those snakes. It was a symbol of Wajit, the protector of Pharaoh. And you know that in the weigh-in, right, God's uh, Aaron's staff turns into a snake and devours the snakes produced by the magicians. This, this symbol of protection and safety is just taken away. Another god that was worshipped by the Egyptians was named Hapi. He was a blue man. He was the god of the Nile. He was associated with the Nile, and the Nile was associated with him. And you imagine you live in a desert. Where does your ability to live come from? All the plants, all the ability of a culture to feed itself, it comes from the Nile. And so they worshipped Hopi as the giver of life. He was the giver of life. Another one was Heket. She was a frog goddess. I couldn't find a colored picture that looked like an accurate one. I'm sorry about that. 
So she was, she was shaped with a frog's head. Now, she was a goddess of fertility. She was a goddess that helped families to grow, to reproduce. And so you placed your hope in the future with Heket. Another god was Osiris, the god of death. You believed that if you were an Egyptian, that the whether you lived or died was largely in his hands. If you were in danger, you reached out to Osiris for help. Set, he was the god of the storms. He was the god of the sky. He was extremely powerful and feared. When a storm came, it was because of him. And then Ra, the god of the sun. He's, he's shown differently at different times. Sometimes he's got this head of a bird, and other times a, a very large crown. But they believe that he was so powerful, he made the sun rise and he held it in the sky. And then finally, the Egyptians worshipped Pharaoh. They believed that when you became Pharaoh, you became the son of Ra. A man became part God. Now, they believed different things about these gods. They believed that they were very territorial. In the ancient world, people believed that their gods were powerful in their place, in their city, and that if they, they went far away from there, that the gods could not protect them because their power was tied to one place. They also believed that the gods were temperamental. Imagine if you thought that it was a god deciding whether or not he was happy with you. And that's what meant he sent rain. And imagine then living in Egypt when you really need rain and how you'd come to believe that these gods were easily angered and, and fickle and temperamental. And that's what they thought about their gods. And so I imagine the Israelites were wondering what kind of a god could possibly stand against all of them. Well, God is going to take and tell this story that's going to answer this question, a story that 3,500 years later, we'd still be telling. So last week was the weigh-in, the two sides sizing each other up, but, but Pharaoh didn't surrender, and so a fight begins. Now, if you read the passages, you'll notice that this formula kind of comes up through the, the story of the plagues. It starts with God telling Moses and Aaron, go and speak to Pharaoh. Tell him that there's going to be a plague. Then the plague comes and it's too terrible and Pharaoh relents because his kingdom's in danger. So he asks Moses to pray. The plague is lifted. Pharaoh promises to release his, uh, the people of God and then he takes that promise back because he keeps waiting for God to get temperamental and leave or territorial and run out of power in Egypt. But remember, the back and forth with Pharaoh, it's not the point. This is a conversation that God has for the sake of his people. Each plague is a statement to the Egyptians for the benefit of the Israelites. He says, I am greater than. And they hear over and over again, how great is God. So, there's a, there's a passage in Exodus chapter 9 that sums this up. I'm actually going to skip the first slide, if that's okay. We're going to read the second slide. I already shared what's on the first. Verses 15 and 16. 
This is God talking about why he sends the plagues. He says, For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth, but I've raised you up for this purpose, that I might show you my power, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. It's the reason for the plagues, for God to show his greatness. So, the first plague, the plague of blood. You remember the, the, the God Happy, the God of the Nile. And they believed that he was the, the giver of life. Can you imagine how terrible it would be to have this massive river, this massive river, the source for all your water, actually really turn to blood? Not just, not just turn red, but grow thick and stinky. And not just not just the river itself, but all the water that had been scooped up into bowls and basins also turned to blood. Can you imagine the terror? The story says that the Egyptians came to the banks of the Nile and dug, hoping to find water to survive. They put their trust in a God of the Nile to be the giver of life. And God took that symbol and turned it against them. It's as though the Lord is saying, I am am greater than any other source of life. I am greater than the Nile. And then the second plague comes, the plague of frogs. You remember the goddess Heket, the frog goddess. She was a fertility goddess. Could you imagine how disgusting frogs would become if they came out by the tens of thousands and surrounded everything Everywhere, This symbol that was supposed to be beautiful, that was supposed to be a promise of the future, became disgusting and disturbing and way, way too plentiful. And then the frogs died. Can you imagine how the, the, the turning in your stomach would go when the goddess that you trust with your future is so humiliated by the God of the Israelites? It's as though he's saying, I'm greater than any other hope for the future. The third plague comes, and it's a plague of gnats. In chapter 8, verses 16 to 19, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen. So these magicians are like priests of the Egyptian gods. And the first few plagues they were able to counterfeit. They were able to mimic either by the power of the evil one or by sleight of hand and illusion. Somehow they were able to mimic them. And then comes the plague of gnats surrounding everything, getting on everything. And they are so terrified, shocked, surprised, and overwhelmed. They say, this is beyond us. When the priests of the gods turn and say, this is something else. It's not enough. Pharaoh hardens his heart. 
You know, something that you learn from, from spending some time as a follower of the Lord is that if you look, if you pay attention, if you watch, you can see him at work, often in incredibly powerful ways. We shared testimonies this morning, stories about people who have seen God at work, and most of us or all of us have those moments to share, those times when we've seen him at work. But there are some people who will not look, or even if they see, they turn themselves away, they close their heart off, and they say, I refuse to believe in God. That was true, that's true today, and it was true then. Pharaoh hardens his heart and does not give in. The fourth plague comes. There are plagues of flies. The flies ruin the land, completely ruin the land. The land that gave the Egyptians all this pride and confidence in their power is totally destroyed. It's as though God is saying, I am greater than any worldly thing. That was true then and it's true now. The Egyptians had put their hope in an empire and God said, I am greater than that. Next comes the fifth plague, the death of the livestock. All of the Egyptians' livestock, this symbol and reality of their wealth, the way that they ate and and traded this huge, impressive wealth of the land was struck dead. God said, I'm greater than any wealth. The sixth plague is boils. We don't know exactly what this means, but it seems that they were incredibly painful. And in the book of Job, He's struck with boils, and it says that he actually takes broken pottery and uses it because he's so, the the itching and burning is so bad, he tries to find relief by scraping them with pottery. It's the same word. This wasn't a small thing. It even says that the, the magicians were unable to stand before Moses. I imagine the Egyptians cried out to Osiris for help, and he did not change anything. God said, I am in complete control of your life. The seventh plague is hail. Now, a hailstorm is a terrible thing. I know we've had hailstorms here before. Most of you have probably experienced them. I know that when hail comes, we all have some of the same thoughts, right? Is there anything outside we have to cover? Do we have to protect? And then we get inside and we get away from it and we just wait it out, right? Can you imagine what it was like to see hail in Egypt? Can you imagine what it was like to live in a desert and have a a thunder and lightning storm remarkably severe? The passage said the worst in Egypt's history. And then these rocks come falling out of the sky and they just destroy everything. Could you imagine the terror? Could you imagine the loss of faith in their gods? And this is God saying, I'm greater than any idol you could ever worship. Then come the locusts. They cover the ground until it's black. They devour everything left by the hail. And then the ninth plague, which is darkness. Now I think, again, we who are so used 
to, to cloudy and rainy days, who are so used to parts of the year where it gets dark very early, who do a large part of our, our life, our daily activities in the dark, right? When it's dark and you need to do something, what do you do? You turn on a light. Could you imagine living in a place like Egypt, pretty near to the equator, a place that's always bright, where night doesn't last very long, it's always hot, cloud cover is rare, and the sun is blacked out. Now the gods of Egypt had already been humiliated. Who was this aimed at? It might have been a humiliation of the god Ra. But do you remember who Pharaoh was called the son of? I think the ninth plague is foreboding. I think it's a promise that something worse is coming. These people had come to worship a man, their king. And the son is blocked over by God as though to say, I am greater than any man could ever be. And then, after that, and we'll only say a bit about this one because I don't want to take away from next week, comes the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. Now, the, the tenth plague is terrible, and as we read it, it's so hard to understand how a loving God could do that because while there were certainly many deaths from the first nine plagues, that hits us hard in our heart, doesn't it, that God would kill the firstborn of every family, unless, unless they were protected, because the, the opportunity was there for them to cover their doors with the blood of the lamb, and death would not come for any home that was protected, that was covered by the blood of the lamb, because if you're covered by the blood of the lamb, that shows that you belong to this all-powerful, amazing God. And with the tenth plague, the Israelites hear the Lord say to the Egyptians, no man can ever become God. And that's absolutely, completely true. No man can ever become God. But more than a thousand years later, because of God's incredible love for his people. God would become a man. And when we think about Jesus, we, we have a hard time sometimes picturing him as a personification of the God who carries out the first nine or those ten plagues, right? The God who's, who's blocking out the sun, who's, who's striking down this country, this nation, this kingdom of Egypt, who's bringing them low over and over and over again because we see in Jesus something else. We see in him gentleness and love. And that's the second part of our summary today. God's greatness is revealed by his unparalleled power and even more through his loving gentleness. Because Jesus, as he hangs on the cross, in pain like you and I will never be able to, to know. I think we should hope and pray to God a thanks for that. As he suffers, he's the same one that can bring a plague 
a, a hailstorm can cover over the sun. He's the Son of God, willingly submitting himself to death. And then he dies. There's absolutely no question, no doubt that this man, God in the flesh, did not have to die. He endured that for our behalf. And three days later, he rose. He overcame death itself, and life eternal is promised to all of us. Who is our God? What do the plagues tell us? They tell us that we worship a God who's more powerful than anything we could ever imagine. That there's no other person or, or thing to trust with our future, with our hopes that we could rely on, count on, in the midst of our hardest days, in the midst of our greatest suffering, know that he is for us. And so when all is said and done, absolutely no one and nothing could ever be against us. But it's not just that. It's sweeter than that. Because this is the same God that we see in the eyes of Jesus as he reaches out to a leper and heals. This is the same God. That power is present in the midst of his people as he uses them to reach out to a world to share his love. God could do it on his own. The, the story of the ten plagues leaves us no doubt. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. But he loves us. And he's decided to show his greatness in and through you and I. And as you imagine the gift, the calling, the wonderful burden that's present there. That you and I would be agents, ambassadors, part of the body of this God who could bring the ten plagues, who has unparalleled power, is also unsurpassed with loving gentleness. So how do you live out a lesson from the ten plagues? I think you live it out this way. So often we're so worried, we're so concerned to have who we are recognized. We want to be respected. We don't want to be taken advantage of. We don't want to put ourselves out for others. Inside of all of us is a core of selfishness that pulls against those kinds of acts, that kind of humility, that kind of compassion. But God himself in his greatness and in his power submitted and showed love and gentleness and even died for those that didn't deserve it. There's no one that's deserved more praise. There's no one that's deserved more respect. There's no one that's deserved more deference than him. But he didn't hold on to that. He let it go, became a man, and died for you and I. Can you live a life of that kind of love? Can you live a life of that kind of compassion? The thing of it is you can. No matter how hard it is for you, no matter how much you struggle, He is at work in you and can change 
and transform you more and more into the likeness of Jesus. We can be the hands and feet and mouth of a God reaching out to the world to say, this is who I am. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings. We love you and we praise you. And we ask that you'd be with us. Lord, remind us of who you are and for what that means about us. Remind us of who we are in you. Lord, help us to never forget your power. Help us to never rely on anyone or anything in the way that we're supposed to rely on you. Help us never place hope in anything but you for our future. And Lord, at the same time, remind us that you are not just the God who brings plagues. You're the God who loves, the gentle God, the God we see in the life and actions of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us to live as his hands and feet to show the power and love of you to the world around us. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.